Hello, and welcome to the Calvary Road Baptist Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Paul Shirley, and I'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen. Each week, we will be releasing sermons and studies delivered directly from the pulpit at our church. Our goal with this podcast from Calvary Road Baptist Church is to make the gospel and sound biblical preaching more available to a wider audience. We hope that these sermons will be a blessing and an encouragement to you each week. As the scripture reads in Psalm 119 and verse 116, Uphold me according unto thy word, that I may live, and let me not be ashamed of my hope. Now, let's hear from God's word. Turn with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 1. We're going to continue uh, looking to these messages concerning dwelling together in unity. Uh, From what I can tell, I believe this is the ninth sermon that the Lord's given me on this topic of unity. Uh, And we're going to continue through this passage in Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. Uh, Once you've got that place there in your Bible, if you would, please stand with me. And uh, we'll stand for the reading of the Word this morning. Just a couple short verses here, uh, six or so verses, and then we'll ask the Lord to help us. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 1. I therefore the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with longsuffering, forbearing one another in love, (laughs) endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Let's pray. Our Father, Lord in heaven, we thank you, God, for the opportunity, Lord, the privilege, the great honor to come to your house. God, we're thankful, God, that you made a way, Lord, for us to enter into the family of God. Lord, that you've adopted us into your family by the cross. God, that you do not look on our value or our worth, but God, rather that we adopt the worth of Your Son. God, I thank You, Lord, today for my salvation. I thank You, God, for the cross and for Jesus. I thank You, Lord, for for the Gospel and for this church, Lord, and the honor and the privilege to be a part, Lord, of Your work on this earth. Lord, I pray this morning, if You would, help us, God, to look at these Scriptures. Uh, God, I pray that the Holy Spirit would inhabit this place today. God, that through Your Spirit, You'd speak to our hearts and You'd speak in our minds. God, that we would see the words of God as just that, the divine, holy words of God, not the musings of man, but God, the true words that You've delivered unto us that we might be saved and that we might walk in the Spirit and walk in the way that is right. I pray this morning, God, please draw near to us, work in our hearts and work in us. We need You. We thank You. We love You. In Jesus' name, Amen. We've spoken concerning unity Uh, Down through these verses, we've spoken of the unity of the body, spoken at length about the unity of the Holy Spirit and how uh, we are to be united in following the Holy Spirit and making sure that we are not following the wrong spirits, seducing spirits of jealousy and envy and wickedness, but that we are following the Holy Spirit. And we spoke about the unity of hope last week and how that no matter who you are or where you are where you're from, or where you've been, or what you've done, we all have the same hope, and that is in Christ Jesus. 
But today we're going to look at verse number 5, the first part there. Those first two words say simply this, One Lord. Now that word Lord there, if you'll notice, in chapter, in chapter 4 and verse number 4, it says one Spirit with a capital S. And <clears throat> when he says capital S, he's talking about that Holy Spirit. One part of the Trinity of God, the Holy Spirit, who indwells the heart of a saved individual. In verse number 5, he gives us another proper noun, if you will, with a capital L, one Lord. And in seeing that statement there, that capital L, Lord, we know that that can only be speaking of our Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, whom the Bible calls Lord of Lords. Amen. And so we know when he says one Lord, he is speaking of the man, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, and uh, we have only one Lord. One. And today I want to give you a thought, a few thoughts if I could, on this idea of the unity of lordship. Webster's, Webster's defines a lord as a master, a person possessing supreme power and authority, a ruler or a governor. And so considering the, the theme, if you will, of this passage in Ephesians chapter 4, we know that the theme of Ephesians chapter 4 verses 1 through 6 is unity. Amen? Amen. Verse number 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And then he begins to speak of the oneness of the brethren, of the many different bonds of unity, the things that should bring us together in one through verses 4 down through verse number 6. One, <clears throat> one uh, Spirit, one God, one body, one Spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God that we are all to be brought together in one under these seven things. And so he's not just speaking on the lordship of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, but he's speaking on how that the lordship of Christ should bring us together. Amen? That's the context of the verse. That's the context of the chapter. And so as we look at that, I want you to turn with me to, I'm sorry, to Philippians. We're already in Ephesians. Philippians chapter number 2. Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 5, I'll read you a few verses here and then we'll dive into what I believe the Lord wants us to say this morning. Uh, Philippians chapter 2 verse number 5 says this, Let this mind be in you, which was also in capital C Christ, capital J Jesus. And we know that that is the same one mentioned in our text verse, One Lord is Christ Jesus. Amen. Verse 6, Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him. That word exalted means to exalt someone or to exalt something is to hold it up high so that everyone can see it and so that it is above everything else. Amen. When something is exalted, it is held up high so that everyone can see it, and so that it is in a position that is above everything else. Amen. And this verse tells us that God the Father has highly exalted Him. Him being the Son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He's highly exalted Him and given Him a name which is above every name. 
that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is what? Lord, to the glory of God the Father. I'm so glad that Jesus is Lord. Amen. I'm glad that Muhammad is not Lord. I'm glad that Allah is not Lord, that Buddha is not Lord. Amen. I'm glad that the many Hebrew gods are not Lord, that the Greek and Roman gods are not Lords, but that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. I, I don't know, I, I've seen many different... I, I'm not a, uh, a uh, specialist or uh, anything like that concerning other religions, but I've seen many many different pieces from many different faiths and many different things. And, and I, I saw a particular video one time, I was at Numana Baptist Church, and they had a missionary in from, I believe it was Iraq, and he was showing footage of, of the people he's trying to reach over there, and he showed footage of a local mosque and how that they had their babies. These people had brought their newborn children, and in dedicating their children to their God, they took this blade and cut the head of their babies so that their blood would run down over their head so that their God would accept them as they come forward to them. I'm glad that the Lord Jesus is my Lord. And that rather than Him requiring that I have my own children or even myself shed my blood just to try and get close enough that He can hear me, Jesus went to the cross and shed His blood so that we would not have to do that. And see, the difference in our Lord and their Lord is that our Lord is real and that He loves us. Amen. That's what makes Him so different. That He loves us like no other false god ever loved their children. Amen. You can go to the Old Testament and see how that when Elijah contested the king of Israel and how that he and his wicked wife had begun to propagate wicked religion and wicked faiths throughout the children of Israel. And there were so many that worshipped the prophets and, and worshipped Baal that he, he brought them together for that big competition. And in spite of all those hundreds of men cutting themselves and crying out to their God for hours and hours, their God did not move an inch to help them. But that our God, after some sixty-some odd words, brought fire down from heaven and licked up all the barrels of water and the altar and all that stuff and showed once and for all that He was God because our God is real and our God loves us. Amen. I'm glad that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. First thing I want to point out this morning are the accolades of our Lord. Now I could just go through the Bible, and I've heard many preachers do it, and just start naming off all the names that have been given for our Lord Jesus Christ. And I tell you, if I did, we ought to have just a shouter down right here. Amen. Just going through how that He is the wonderful Counselor, that He is our sacrifice, and He is, he is our, our everything. He's our propitiation. And, and I could do that, but this morning there's three things I want to point out to you from His accolades just real quickly. First, I want you to see that our Lord, He is Master. Again and again throughout the Gospels, men and women refer to the Lord as Master. But when they did so, they were not really referring to Him as Master in the way that, that the word is often used, that word master is very similar to the word Lord because it means to have rule over something. Amen. To be over and above and high above and lifted up and, and looking down. But our Lord, He is a master. And in John chapter 3, a certain man, 
a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, the same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. That word rabbi is a Jewish word for the word master. And that means that he is more knowledgeable and more understanding than anyone else is. And can I tell you, our Lord is more knowledgeable. He's more understanding. He's more wise than any man has ever been. That when he was 12 years old, he was teaching the scribes and the Pharisees in the church about the Scripture, and that they marveled at his knowledge of the Word of God at 12 years old. Can I tell you, at 12 years old, what I was doing? I was watching Ninja Turtles, and I was playing Pokemon on my Game Boy at 12 years old. Amen. Amen. Some of y'all just lost all confidence in me because at 12 years old, I wasn't teaching in the synagogues. But can I tell you, I'm not a master. I'm not. But he was, and he is, and he knows everything. He's got all knowledge. He's got all wisdom. He's got all power. He is the master of all things. He's the master of the wind. That when he spoke, peace be still, the storms lay down. And the people watching said, what manner of man is this that the winds and the seas obey him? And it's not just that he's got all power, but he's got all knowledge. He knows how it all works. Amen. He knows how your DNA works. He, knows how, he knew how he could look at a broken man or a broken woman, and whether their body was broken or their spirit was broken, he's the great physician. And he knew exactly what they needed to fix their problem. Amen. He didn't have to call the doctors. He didn't have to call and get a second opinion because He's Master. He knows what you need. He is the Lord of all. And His accolades are, are an endless list. You know, John wrote it like this. He said, if we were to try to write all the things that He'd done, that all the papers and all the books and all the world could not contain it because He is Master. Amen. And He knows all things. And He's got all things right in His hands. He's Master. When, uh, when Nicodemus came to him there in John chapter 3, he had no idea what he was getting himself into. Amen. As the Lord began to speak, this man who was of the scribes, he was of good reputation, sneaking out to see Jesus at night so all of his buddies wouldn't get mad about it. And the Lord, he starts talking to him. He says, Lord, Master, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher from God because no man can do the miracles that you're doing and not be sent from God. Well, Thankfully, he had enough sense to know that. You know what the Lord said to him? You must be born again. And immediately, Nicodemus, this man whose life has been spent studying the Scriptures, who by all those around him would probably be revered as a master of his, uh, his trade, which is being a Pharisee, the Word of God, starts uh, scratching his head. Lord, explain to me how a man once he's been born, can enter again into his mother's womb. How does a Pharisee not recognize the difference between spiritual things and physical things? And the Lord said, you've got to understand, things that are of the spirit, spirit, that which of the flesh is flesh. Marvel not that I said that you must be born again. Amen. And the Lord begins to teach him things that his mind has never comprehended because Jesus has an in-depth knowledge of things that you could never understand on your own. And yet we think that we know what's best. Amen. And when the Lord tells us what we need to do, we think, well, real, I ain't doing that. You think you know better than the Lord? 
He crafted it by the word of His power and upholds all things by the word of His power. I think He knows a little something about a few things. He's Master. Not only is He Master, He's Savior. Luke chapter 2, verse 11, Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Amen. I think it's pretty emphatic and pretty clear of who our Savior is. It's not me. It's not a priest. It's not a preacher. It's not a, it's not a religion. It's not a ritualism. It's Jesus Christ, the person, the Son of God. Amen. He's not, a, he's not some thought or some idea or some, some knowledge that exists out in the greater world, some, some higher being. No, He's a person. He's Jesus Christ, the Son of God, my Savior. That's who He is. That's just who He is. It's not just some idea or I believe in a higher power. No, no, no. I don't believe in a higher power. I believe in the higher power. And His name is Jesus Christ. He's the Savior. Paul said it in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He is the Savior of all. Amen. And there is no other name under heaven whereby you must be saved. He is the Master. He is the Savior. And He is... King. Mm. Isaiah chapter 6, verse number 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, as Isaiah speaking, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and His train filled the temple. You see that word Lord? You see that capital L? It's the same capital L in Ephesians chapter 4. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the, all caps, Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. I want you to see He's King because we can see the glory of our King. Isaiah here in, in the original text using to describe the word capital L, Lord, he used the word Adonai, which is to say the Lord, capital L. It's a name used for God. And what's referred to down here where you see those, that one word Lord, all caps L-O-R-D, <clears throat> is a particularly strange phenomenon in your Scripture. I don't know if you've ever done a study on why in some places the writer used all caps, L-O-R-D, and others did not. And the reason is this. In the Hebrew text, they would use a word spelled Y-W-H-W, which in modern language is often said as Yahweh. Y'all ever heard Yahweh? In our language and in our King James Bible, often the word is used Jehovah, which is a rendition of the word Yahweh. <clears throat> Yahweh is a name for God that the Hebrew people would never speak. They wrote it as capital Y, capital W, capital H, capital W, and it's translated as all caps Lord because the people of the children of Israel were so afraid that they would take the name of the Lord in vain 
that they refuse to speak His name out loud. That is the sort of reverence that Isaiah felt when he saw the Lord on His throne. That to even speak His name was beyond what He was worth. Because He is King. And a king is someone who is much more than a teacher. A king is even someone who's much more than a savior. A king is someone who is more than an intellectual leader or a good prophet or a good man. A king is someone who is deserving of honor and respect and glory. Amen. The United States does not have a king. We have a president, and I believe that office should require some modicum of respect. But there is a difference between a president and a king. A king is one who is so high and so lifted up that not just anyone should be allowed to come into their presence. That's just the way it is. They have so much power and they have so much glory that a true king in the form that is presented here in the book of Isaiah in chapter number 6, that to come into the presence of such a king would be such a privilege within itself that just being there would change a person. The glory of this king. It was written, this word YWHW, written only in the written form and never spoken out loud, was a word used to refer to the eternal God, the I Am, the God of heaven. And when they would write this name, as it is here, all capital Lord, they would not read it off as such, but rather, when they come across that word, they would use the words Adonai or Elohim for fear of taking the Lord's name in vain. Do you know why? Because the Lord told them in Exodus chapter 20 and verse number 7, Thou shalt not take the name of the all caps L-O-R-D Lord, thy God, in vain. For the all caps Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Can I tell you this morning that your king is worthy of honor and glory? And that if we could see him, like Isaiah saw him, then maybe his name wouldn't rest so easily on our lips. The name of Jesus is a name of power. It is a name of love and mercy in a world that uses his name as a curse and as a swear and as an exclamation of annoyance or surprise is a world that God will not hold guiltless. What does it say? The Lord will not hold him guiltless. Amen. The glory of the king. Then I want you to see the grace of the king. Verse 7. Then said I, woe is me. This is Isaiah. As he's looked there upon the Lord and the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried. The house was filled with smoke and he is surrounded with the glory of God. What's he saying? Woe is me, for I am undone. Well, that's a pretty strong reaction. Woe is me. He thought, I'm done for. I'm dead. This is it. I'm undone. I'm coming apart at the seams. Why? Because I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. 
Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Isaiah standing there for God, the God of heaven, for our Lord and Savior, the King of glory, sitting on His throne, and this man approaches, who with his lips has spoken uncleanness, and with his heart has thought uncleanness, and felt uncleanness, and been surrounded by people who are also wicked and unclean. His immediate reaction was to say, I'm done for. I'm undone. I've got no hope. How could I ever approach such a God? And such a king, I'm lowly, I'm wicked, and I'm, I'm, I'm filthy, and I'm unclean. But you know what the Lord does? He cleans him up. Amen. With fire from his altar, he sends an angel over there, or rather a, a seraphim there to take that coal and put it on his lips, and he says, Thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. That's the grace of our king. That when He looks down on us, you know what the honest to God truth is? He's the King of glory. He's high and lifted up. That train that fills the temple, that train represents all the enemies that He has defeated over time. That as a king would, would defeat enemies, they would take patches and sew it onto their train that would show that all the enemies and all the, all the villains and all the, the wrongdoers that they had defeated over time and His train Filled the temple. You know what that means? He's never lost. Amen. A king and a God who never lost. Holy. That His voice shook the pillars in heaven. And that all around Him were beings of power with wings flying saying, Holy, holy, holy. And Isaiah looked on and he said, I'm undone. I'm unclean. I, I can't be here. And that God of heaven could have looked down at that little boy, Isaiah, and struck him down and snuffed his light out. But instead, he cleaned him up. He took that coal and cleaned him up. He said, your iniquity, it's gone. Your sin, it's forgiven. And that's the same thing he did for me as an eight-year-old boy. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 says, Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace. When Isaiah looked on the throne, are y'all still with me this morning? When Isaiah looked on the throne of Jesus, you know what he saw? Glory. And he thought, I can't do this. I can't speak for God. How can I speak for God with unclean lips to people who are full of uncleanness, of unclean lips? I, I'm undone. I, I'm going to die. I can't do this. But at the throne of glory, you know, what he, you know what he received? He received grace. Unmerited favor. That the Lord sent that coal down to clean his lips. And when I was just a young child and I came before the Lord and I bowed down at an altar, if that was just an altar and just a throne of glory, then God would have turned me away. I've got nothing to offer him. You've got nothing to offer Him. But aren't you glad that the King of glory is not just the King of glory, but He's a King of grace? And that that throne, when Jesus came and He walked on this earth as a man, and He marched to the cross and died to become your Savior, 
He transformed the throne of glory to a throne of grace. Amen. And he's still got all his glory, but the Bible says, don't worry, grace did much more abound. That there was more grace. That he giveth more grace. And now, we may therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. And that's what Isaiah found as he looked on the God of heaven and he saw Him in His majesty. God said, it's okay. I've got grace. Amen. I think sometimes maybe we forget just who He is. He's the King of glory. He's the Lord of lords. The King of kings. He's the one who is in the fiery furnace with the three Hebrew children. He's the one who marched before them there in the Old Testament and defeated the enemies of God. He's the one who created all things by the word of His power. And He is the King of kings. We see the glory of the King. We see the grace of the King. Let me hurry. We see the guidance of the King. In that last verse there, in verse number 8, He says this, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then said I, Here am I. Send me. It's not enough that He's just got glory and grace, but then after He delivers unto us His grace, He then decides, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to use you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to show you where to go. And the Lord said this to Isaiah, don't worry, I'll forgive your sin, I'll wash your iniquities away just like He did for us. And He said this, I need somebody who's going to do something for me. And Isaiah said, here am I. Send me. You just tell me where to go, and I'll go. You tell me what to do, I'll do it. You tell me what to say, and I'll say it. Lord, I am yours. You can have me. Whatever you want, that's what I want. That's the guidance of the king. Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 33, verse 22, For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. What a king that not only does he allow us to be in his presence, which is a privilege enough, but he gives us purpose. What an honor to know, love, and serve our King. Not only do I want you to see the accolades of the Lord, I want you to see the authority of the Lord. At His name, the verses we read there in Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted Him and given Him a name which is above every name. Verse 10, That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth, and things under the earth. That He has all authority. Amen. I want you to see His past authority. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son, whom He hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also He made the world. Jesus Christ is the heir of all things. You know what that means? He's king. He's Lord. He's master. And all things, the Bible says, are passed under His feet. That He has all power. And He has all authority. That He has all rule. And that what He says goes. Amen. Did you know what He says goes? And when He decides that it's time to just go ahead and start passing judgment, you know what Isaiah said? He's the Lord. He'll judge us. Amen. That's what He said. The day is going to come when that's going to happen, but in the very beginning, all the way back at the beginning, did you know that Jesus Christ did not come into existence in the virgin birth? Did you know that the Lord Jesus Christ was not formed by God? 
That He was not brought there in the virgin birth and suddenly now God has a Son. No, that God has had a Son from the very beginning. That He said there in the beginning, let us make man in our image. And here in Hebrews chapter 1 it tells us that God in sundry times and divers manners, that He, in, he spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets. In verse 2 it said that Jesus, He's made in the heir of all things, and it was by Him He made the worlds. Amen. That's His past authority. That He was the Creator in creating all things by the word of His power. Verse uh, number 3, Who being the brightness of His glory, and the express image of His person, and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the Majesty on high. That's His present authority. He spoke the world into existence in the very beginning. But even today, after going and laying His life down on the cross and then picking it back up and placing His blood on the mercy seat in heaven and paying for all of our sins and becoming our Savior forever, that even now, He's at the right hand of the Father and He's upholding all things by the word of His power. As long as Jesus lives, the world will continue to turn. As long as Jesus holds things up and says it, everything will continue just as it's supposed to until one day when He speaks it out of existence. That's His past authority, His present authority. He's upholding things even now. And that He is our Savior and our propitiation and our mediator. Even now He has authority to forgive sins and to judge and to just be everything He is, and Lord of Lords, and King of Kings. But then I want you to see His future authority too. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 13, Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in His times He shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor, power, everlasting. Amen. He said, in His times He shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You might say, well, Brother Paul, didn't he already do that? Well, yes, he came. But when Jesus came to this earth, he did not come as King of kings. That's why the Jews rejected him. They wanted that power and train filling the temple. They wanted that majesty and strength and might and a rod and a staff and just go forward and just defeat the enemies of the Jews and, and establish His kingdom and, and put them back in their rightful place. That's what they expected. But He did not come as a king. He came as a lamb and a savior. And they rejected Him. But one day, He is coming again. When He does, He will not come as a meek man he will not come as a Savior, as a lamb. He'll come as a lion. 
He'll come as a king. Revelation chapter 19 verse 11, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, he, in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. You know who that is? That's Jesus. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings, Lord of lords. He's not going back to a cross. He's not going back to a whipping block. He's not going to wear a crown of thorns. He's going to wear a crown of righteousness. He's not going to come meek and beaten and bloodied for our sake. He already did that. He already did that. And He died. And He descended into hell. And He took the keys of death and hell. And He rose again and set the captive free and went to heaven as our sacrifice. But when He comes back, that's all done. His future authority, can I just tell you, there will be no debate. There will be no 24-hour news cycle discussing whether or not they think this Jesus character is really going to be able to do the things He says He's going to do, or if He means what He's going to say, or any of that stuff, none of that's going to happen. Because He's not going to come back as a politician. He's going to come back as a king. When He comes back as a king... His mouth with a tongue like a sharp sword will mow down the enemies of God. Amen. And He will establish His kingdom forever, and that's going to be it. From that moment forward, there'll be no more discussion. Y'all do know that the arrival of the Lord Jesus Christ is the death of democracy. There'll be no more votes, no more elections, and no more this or that. When He shows up, there's no option for King. It's just Him. He is King of Kings. He is Lord of Lords. And He has that authority now, but He's just holding it. He's holding it back. But in His time, when the time comes, and that last lost soul bows down and takes that grace that's being offered at that throne, and God the Father turns to God the Son and says, it's time. He turns to that angel and says, grab the trumpet the trumpet blows, thus will begin the wrath of God poured out like the winepress treaded on all the enemies of God. And in that day, the picture that the world has of Jesus, of the meek, lowly lamb, well, that picture will end. And instead, they'll get a wrathful king. That's his authority. I want you to see this and we'll be done. Our Lord, not only do we see the accolades of our Lord, He's Master, He's Savior, He's King, and we see His past, present, and future authority, but I want you to see this today. Our Lord is the absolute. In fact, the word used in the Old Testament for God as they speak about God, Jehovah, they say His name is jealous. When they say His name is jealous... 
what they mean is, He will bear no rival. That's why it says, Thou shalt have no other gods before Me. Because <clears throat> He's God. He made you, and He expects you to honor Him for it. Amen. Rightfully so. Y'all ever heard a parent say, I brought you into this world, I can take you out? Well, there is some truth to that. But there is no truth like that that God has. He gives you breath. He keeps your heart pumping. He keeps the sun on time and the moon on time. And our Lord Jesus upholds all things by the word of His power. He is the absolute. He is the beginning. He is the end. He is the Alpha. He is the Omega. He is the Lord of all. He is the King of all. But, that's not enough. Not for you. It's not enough that you go, yeah, I know. But is He not only Lord of all, is He your Lord? Is He your King? Is He your Savior? Now, if I were to ask for a raise of hands, I'm not going to. How many of you this morning would say, I've been saved? Amen, Brother Paul and would gladly raise my hand and say, I, I'm saved, I know I'm saved, hallelujah. If you've been saved, then Jesus is your Savior, period. You've been saved. He saved you. But just because you've been saved doesn't mean He's your Lord. I'll tell you what the Bible says about it first. I want you to see concerning the Lord's the absolute. Let me ask you three, well, let me ask you two simple questions. First, <clears throat> do we serve the same Lord? Our verse I told you in the very beginning from Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 4 says one Lord. And in that context, He is speaking concerning unity. Isn't that what we're talking about? The unity of Lordship and how that we are to dwell together in unity and the unity of the body of Christ, the unity of the Holy Spirit, the unity of one hope. And now I ask you this simple question. Are we all serving the same Lord? Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24, here's what Jesus said about it. No man, or woman for that matter, <clears throat> can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Do we serve the same God? So what, what's mammon? Well, mammon is wealth. It's self-glory. It's self-promotion. Worldly gain. Amen. You know what mammon is? Pleasure. The Bible said in the last days men would become lovers of them own selves. Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. That's why, that's why if we look around this morning, there's a lot of empty seats. Because people love themselves. and People love their pleasures. And they love what they've got going on in their life more than they love God. That's just a fact. Now there's some who can't be here for this and for that. And, and, some, you know, and I'm not talking about those who are usually here and aren't here. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the people who we've not seen yet. The people up and down this street. The people up and down that street. And all over this area who Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, they don't go to church. They don't know the Lord. They don't serve the Lord. Do you know why? Because they serve themselves. You're going to serve something. In life, you will bow down to something. You're going to serve something. that when, To please this thing, that is why you live. And for most people, it's me. I live for me. 
I live to make me happy. I live to please myself. I worship myself. When I'm hungry, I feed myself. When I'm tired, I sleep. When I want this, I go get it. When I want that, I go get it. And I don't tell myself no. Amen. Who do you serve? Are we serving the same Lord? Because if we're going to be in unity, then the King I talked about, the one whose train fills the temple, the Savior who went to the cross, the Master who has all knowledge and all power and all authority from the beginning to now and to the end, that's the one we've got to serve. I don't need this church trying to serve me as your pastor. You need to serve God. And I need to serve God. The one I bow down to needs to be the same one that you bow down to. You need to be here Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. You need to serve God. You need to be in His work. Amen. Serving someone is much more than just knowing them. It's much more than... Are y'all, are y'all listening? Have I lost you? Listen to me. It's good and it's wonderful to shout and cry about how good our God is, but if we walk out that door and bow down to mammon when we're done, then we fail Him. Then what good does it do you? What good does it do your children if you're bowing down to mammon? What I need. What I want. What I think I need. What I think I want. And not what God wants. And not what the Bible teaches. We either serve God or we serve mammon. Amen. You can't... And there's a lot of people who think they can do both. But Jesus, who we already said is the Master, he's, he's got it figured out. He said this, you cannot serve God and mammon. You can't. You've got to pick one. Well, I've got to provide for my family, and I've got to have some time for me, and I've got to... Amen. And you can, and there's nothing wrong with that. God desires for you to have time of leisure. God desires for you to have pleasure in your home, and and peace in your home, and He desires you to work and provide for your family and, and spend time with your children, He just doesn't expect you to do it when it's His time. Amen. Amen. You cannot serve both God and mammon. Do we serve the same Lord? Let me ask you this. Are we submitted to the same Lord? Because to serve is one thing, but to submit is different. Amen. To submit is to yield. Here's what Paul said in Romans chapter 6, verse 16. Know you not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, His servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Whoever you yield to, that is who you're going to obey. So, Brother Paul, I want to serve God, and I want to be there, and I want to do this, and I want to do that. Except, every time anything gets in the way. You've got to be submitted to the same Lord. To submit yourself, what that simply means is to lay your will down at the feet of someone else. Let me say it to you like this. When it's Monday morning or it's Tuesday morning or whatever, you've got your job that you do, you work a public job or whatever it may be or whatever time you go in, when the alarm goes off, you have predetermined in your heart, when that alarm goes off, no matter how I feel, I'm going to pull myself up out of bed, I'm going to get my clothes on, I'm going to go to work. Because if I don't, I'm not going to get paid. I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to get fired. I'm this or that or whatever. And You've submitted yourself that this is just the way it's going to have to be. Right? We need to submit ourselves to God in that way. Why have we not submitted ourselves to God in that way? 
that what God wants from me, that it's not a choice. Take the choice out of it. Amen. That's what it means to submit. I may not like it when the Lord tells me I need to witness to that person, but I'm not yielding to me. I'm yielding to Him. Amen. Because He's not just, oh, the great Lord and the great King and the great Savior, but He's my Lord. He's my King, and I am submitting myself to Him. That's what Isaiah said. Here I am, send me. Lord, I'm Yours. Whatever You want with me, I'm Yours. Have you laid your life on the altar? Have you laid your will on the altar? Have you submitted yourself to your Lord? Because can I tell you that this church cannot be in unity until we are all together submitted unto the will of our Lord. One Lord, that's different from one God and different from one Spirit. One Lord means He is the head who makes the decisions, He makes the calls, He turns this way, He turns us that way, and that we are going to follow Him. Amen. To whom you yield yourselves, servants, to obey, His servants ye are to whom ye obey. Do we serve the same Lord? Are we submitted to the same Lord? Because I'll tell you something. You might be thinking, well, you know what? I'm just not going to do that. <clears throat> I'll, I'll do my part. I'll do the bare minimum. I'll get by. I'll be fine. I'm saved, so you know, grace does much more abound. I'll be fine. There is coming a point when serving and submitting will be off the table and it will become subjection. Philippians chapter 2, verse 11 Every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Verse 10, every knee shall bow. There's going to come a point in your life if you don't willingly submit to God when you'll stand before Him. And when you do all the things in your life that you held back from Him, He'll put them on display. And I can tell you, in that moment, you'll be on your knees. And you'll be confessing, He's King. You'll be like Isaiah. You're, you're Lord, you're King. You're Lord and you're King. Subjection is much different from submission. And I have seen a child of God, and I believe I'm talking to mostly saved individuals this morning, and I'll tell you this, if you've never been saved, one day you will bow before Him. And unfortunately, it won't be a throne of grace. If you leave this life, this time of grace where all men everywhere may come unto Him, and if you confess your sins, He's faithful and just to forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. By grace are you saved through faith that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That all you've got to do is just come and believe on Him and His righteousness, and He'll save you. And it's, it's a free gift and easy, acceptable to anyone, anywhere. Amen. Whosoever, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. But there is a day coming, there'll be no more of that. And if you don't accept His grace on this side, on the other side, you'll find there is no grace. That you left all the grace behind. 
But if you're saved this morning, you might think in your heart, and the, the devil might tell you in your ear, it's fine. I don't need all that. I don't have to give my whole life to God. I can just be this and be that. And it's fine. I don't, I don't have to be at church and I don't have to serve God and I don't have to follow this and I can live my life my way and so long as I'm saved, it'll all work out in the end. Amen. You'll make it to heaven as by fire. But you know what God deals, you know how God deals with us here? The truth is one day when all things are said and done and we're judged, no matter how how poor a child you were to God, if you've been saved, by fire you'll make it through. You will. For every lost soul that dies without God, they have eternal damnation waiting for them. You don't. So you know what God does with us? He chastens us. That's what Hebrews tells us in chapter 12, that whom He loveth, He chasteneth as sons. I'll tell you this story and we'll be done. I know I've already been a long time. My dad always told a story in his messages. and Growing up, I always hated this story. Talked about how when he was 16, him and my mom got together and he had decided they was going to get married and they decided they loved each other and going to get married. And he'd come home from school. He walked into my grandparents' house. He said, Mom, Dad, I'm quitting school. I'm not going back tomorrow. I'm done. Uh, I've got a guy over here I'm doing some work for. I'm going to milk cows for a living for now until I get this done and that done. And, and me and Lisa's getting married and, and I'm quitting school. And then that's that. That was not that. Uh, they said, no, you're not. They said, yeah, I am. Nope, you're not doing that, son. You're not quitting school. I, 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 I said, I am. I'm a man. I'm my own man. And that's final. How stupid you got to be, first of all, <clears throat> to do that at 16 to your dad. Because uh, my papa, he's not a big guy. He's probably about yay tall. Uh, but he's made out of solid steel. And my dad's not a real tall guy either, but he's a little taller than him. But I reckon he's in the back room where their bedroom used to be. And my pap looked at my grandmother and said, Diana, go in the living room. And she said, now, Elbert. And he said, go, go in the living room. Dad said, now, Dad, that's, I, I'm, I'm quitting my job. I got it all worked out. It's fine. Papa didn't punch him in the face or do anything crazy. He walked up. He grabbed a hold of him. He grabbed his arm. He pulled it back here. And pushed him down on the ground and got down on top of him and held him there. Dad tells a story about how he's yelling, you're breaking my arm, you're breaking my arm. Some of y'all thinking, oh my goodness. And he said, son, you're going to go upstairs. And in the morning, you're going to get up and you're going to go to school. As long as you live in this house until you're old enough to leave here and be your own man, you're going to do as I say because this is my house. What happened in that moment is my papa, who wasn't even really a godly example, he knew what was right and was backslidden on God. But he saw a son who he knew was about to make a huge mistake. And in spite of the fact that he was telling him, son, you're not doing this, it's bad for you, it's going to hurt you, you need to listen, he just wouldn't listen. And so as a father to his son, he put him in subjection. He didn't beat him up, he didn't kick him in the ribs, he just took him and he showed him, son, I've got more power than you. You need to listen. And my dad went upstairs, mad, probably cried, Went to school the next morning. He graduated. And then he got married. 
And then God called him into ministry at 16. God made him a pastor. I don't know what would have happened if he'd have done it at 16. Sometimes a parent has to, even when their child doesn't want to, show them that they've got to listen. And it would have been so much easier if my dad had said, you know what, dad, you know what, mom, you're right. And submitted, but he didn't. Instead, his parents had to bring him into subjection. I always thought maybe my dad was waiting for the chance to do that to me, so I was sure to never put him in that position. Amen. (laughs) But let me tell you, God will do the same thing to you if you make him. We're on live stream. I'm burdened this morning. Because I think we're living in a world today full of people who are not the least bit submitted to God. Even us sitting here in this church and in our lives, we, we love God and, and we, he, we're saved and we, we want to serve Him, but we're not submitted. We're not letting God run our lives. I've got a relative right now who I mean is eat up with sin. Her life is falling apart. Probably going to lose her children. Last year, one of her children got so sick, he was, I think, six, seven, almost died. Doctors couldn't really explain why, and I'm sitting here praying, God, please, please don't, please don't take this child to reach her. God, please, save that, save this child, and God, please let her see the error of her ways. God did save that child, but she did not change her ways. Since then, she has stopped seeing her children almost entirely, and her life is on a straight downward trajectory, and she is heading toward destruction. Raised in church, knows what's right. And I look at her and I think, Lord God, I don't, please. Please help her, but you're afraid to say, Lord, whatever it takes. Because when God has to put somebody in subjection, sometimes it hurts. Don't let that be you. We have a good God. We have a wonderful Lord who loves us and wants to bless us and help us. Give Him your life. Give Him your will. Don't force His hand to chastise. Amen? Let's all stand. Miss Brandy, if you wouldn't mind. I know that took a heavy turn on him, but I'm going to tell you this morning, we need... To lower ourselves before God. To bow at the altar of submission. It is not my desire that God would have to turn the arm of any to bring them into submission. Father in heaven, Lord, we pray this morning, God, Lord, if there's one here under the sound of my voice, God, who does not know you, Lord, that they would come to know you today, God, I pray that they'd come right now, Lord, they'd bow down at this altar, God, that they'd cry out, Lord, for salvation, Lord, I pray, if there is a lost soul this morning, Lord, that you'd please save them, God, please, Lord, reach down, God, draw them to you, Lord, bring them forward, and God, save their soul eternally, God, there is a hell waiting, Lord, for every lost soul that leaves this world without grace and leaves this world without salvation. God, I pray, please, Lord, please help us.
Lord, I pray this morning, God, for every Christian, every saved man, and every saved woman in this building, Lord, this morning. God, that You would please, Lord, help us to see You, God, in Your glory. Help us to see You, Lord, in Your uh, masterful position. God, that we would understand that You know more than we know, Lord. That You see more than we see, God. That You are, you are high and lifted up, and You are mighty, God, and You are wise. And Lord, help us to submit ourselves to You. God, I pray, take my life, Lord. Take my life and make it, Lord, what You want me to be. Take the lives of my wife and the lives of my children, Lord. Mold us and make us and shape us, Lord, into what You desire for us. God, I pray this morning, please. Please, Lord. Move and help us, God, please. Draw us to You, Lord. I pray, Lord, that, that every heart this morning would be tender to the moving of the Holy Spirit, God, that we would submit ourselves, Lord, willingly lower ourselves to serve You, God, to follow You, God, to make You Lord in our life and not just our Savior, but God, the Lord and leader of our lives. God, I pray, Lord, be long-suffering, be merciful, please. God, I pray that there not be one amongst us this morning, God, who would have to be brought into subjection. God, give us grace, please, be long-suffering. Help us this morning that we would live our lives in a way that's honoring and pleasing to you. We love you. We ask in Jesus' name. Thank you again for listening to the Calvary Road Baptist Church podcast. If you would like to learn more about our church in Shepherdsville, Kentucky, you can find the link to our website in the show notes to www.calvaryroadbaptistchurch.com. We're so thankful that you've taken the time to listen to today's sermon, and we hope that the Lord will use it to edify you in the faith. If you'd like to help spread the word about this podcast, you can do so by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, or by telling a friend. Thank you again, and have a blessed day in the Lord. Thank you.